Good morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is indeed Jeremy. Yeah, I tend to go to the nine o'clock, so welcome if, if we've not met before. Um, I'm one of the leaders here at Grace Church. Um, we're continuing our series, working through uh, verses 15 to 20 in chapter one of the book of Colossians. I just want to give you a bit of a background to the book of Colossians to, to help you work out what's happening. So Colossae was a, uh, an important town in what is now part of Turkey. The church there had been planted by a man called Epaphras, who'd been trained by Paul. And it, they'd started off with uh, the gospel, the true gospel as taught by Paul. But then something seems to have gone wrong. Now, we don't know exactly what it was, and we can only piece it together by what Paul is arguing against throughout the book of Colossians. But it seems that some strange ideas from the surrounding culture had entered the church, presumably through false teachers. And, and it seems that people were, were teaching that faith in Jesus Christ was not enough. You had to add something else, perhaps something like following Jewish traditions or, or worshipping angels, or, or having special secret knowledge. As well, others seem to be doubting that Paul's teaching that Jesus was God come in the flesh. They were saying, yes, Jesus may be a one of several powerful spiritual beings sent from God. So it seems that the book of Colossians, in part, was written to correct some of these errors. And here in chapter 1, in these verses that we're going through over summer, is an important place where Paul addresses this. He's nailing his colours to the mast. He's teaching them, and it, what appears to be through the words of a hymn, many commentators say, about what they've been told about Jesus. And to summarize the whole of this series and the whole of this hymn, Paul is saying Jesus Christ is fully God and he's amazing. And if that's all you get from this whole summer series, then that's all you need. So let's, uh, let's read the whole of this passage because it is just wonderful stuff. So if you have a Bible, Colossians 1 verses 15 to 20. is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Well, today, we're focusing down and we're particularly looking at the first part of verse 18, which says, and he is the head of the body, the church. 
Well, this was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word used for head, fortunately, much like in English, can mean the head, but it also can mean the chief or the most important, much like in our English word head teacher, the Greek word used for body. Uh, it's often used to refer to the body of an animal or plant, and often is used in the Bible as a kind of word picture to describe God's people. And actually, not just in the Bible, we sometimes talk in English about a body of people. Also, just to make it clear, in the Bible, when it says the church, it is not referring to a building. The church always refers to the assembly of God's people, not buildings. So, this appears to be a very straightforward saying that just says that Jesus is the one who's really in charge of God's people. But in the Bible, every word can pack a punch. So what I want to do today is just look a little, in a little bit more depth at this verse, and then we'll talk about why that actually matters. So... And he is the head of the body of the church. The and, yes, he really is going to talk about and. <laughs> the and links this to everything that's gone before in, in, in verses 15 to 17. So what Paul's saying is the Jesus who is head of the church is the one that you look at if you want to know what God's like. The Jesus who is head of the church is the one who created everything. The Jesus who is head of the church is the one who keeps everything in existence. In short, what this is saying is that it, the Jesus who is head of the church is God Almighty. This, this, this is so relevant today. There's... there's People who still, uh, in, in our culture, may doubt this. You ask people in the culture uh, who they think Jesus is, I'm guessing many would say he was just uh, a moral teacher. Um, the, uh, if you ask Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, they would just say, much like the, the teachers in Colossae, he's just uh, some, some spiritual being. But no, Paul's saying, the one who is God Almighty is head of the church. Next, we have he is. Notice it's is in the present tense. Muhammad was the founder of Islam. Buddha was the founder of Buddhism. But Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the eternal God, the Son, who has existed from eternity, who entered our world as the God who comes to us, who comes in the flesh who came to live the life that we couldn't live, to die on our behalf and to be raised and to ascend to heaven where he is reigning now. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He is the God of time and history, God of time and eternity who orchestrates all history. That is our God and that is the head of the church. Next comes the head. That's the head, which means a single specific head. A body uh, without a head is a dead body, and a body 
with more than one head or the wrong head is a monster. <laughs> it is said that uh, the head of the Church of England is the monarch, so that's our queen. Now, I'm sure Queen Elizabeth is a lovely elderly woman, but she does not give life to the Church of England. Even if she devolves practical leadership to the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Archbishop of Canterbury does not give life to the Church of England. The Pope may be the head of the Roman Catholic Church, but he doesn't give life to the Roman Catholic Church. It is only in being connected to Jesus that the Church has life. Now, of course, when you have lots of people together, there has to be some sort of leadership. But Christian leadership is always about serving people. It's about pointing them to Jesus as the answer to all their problems. It's about serving them, releasing them, setting them free from things that are holding them back and helping them to become everything that they can be in God. The elders of Grace Church are not the head of Grace Church. Goodness me, certainly not. Um, we have just got a job to do. We've just been given a job for this particular time in the life of the church. And I guess the headlines of that are making sure that you're all cared for pastorally and making sure that you're taught from the Bible and, and protecting you from false teaching. I, when I think back about my own Christian life, I can think of a number of leaders who've inspired me and taught me so much over the years. I, I came to faith in a Baptist church, and I thank God for the minister at the time. Uh, it's a man called John Bays. Um, he was quite a theologian. He was a doctor of theology. He had a great gift for opening up the Bible. You know those bits of the Bible you read and think, what on earth does that mean? Well, well he, he could open them up and explain. You think, oh, of course, why didn't I see that before? And then one Sunday, he announced that he was leaving. And I was gutted. I thought, well, whoever comes after him, there's no way that they're going to be able to explain Scripture and open up the Bible like him. But do you know what? I was right, because the man who came after him couldn't. <laughs> but I thank God for Paul Goff, who was a wonderful man of God. He was so open. He was open with his life. He invited you to get to know him. And when you got to know him, he was the real deal. He was a, a man of prayer. And from him, I learned about God's love and God's holiness. And he taught me that the Christian walk wasn't just about an academic exercise about knowing what the Bible said. It was supposed to be your whole life and how you lived. So the lessons I learned from him were different, but no less profound. I thank God for my father-in-law, Eric Ashby, who is now a retired Anglican vicar. I think you only get to retire once you hit 80. Um, but... Um, He's a man whose lifetime has inspired me as someone who uh, has, has, has shown me God's concern for those on the edges of society 
um, those in poverty, those the homeless, uh, and those with learning difficulties. And he, he's someone who put um, theory into practice. He was part of the team that set up the Nottingham Night Shelter. And he worked for many years in, in helping homeless people and, um, and, and serving uh, in helping schools for, for youngsters with learning difficulties. And I thank God for Nick and Penny Sharp. Um, who founded Grace Church um, and gave so many years of their life to see it grow. The foundations they have put in in Grace Church in worship and, uh, and love of scripture. And well, it's just so much. I've benefited so much from that and you also are the beneficiaries of that. I learned so much from Nick about prayer, about worship, about life in the spirit. And I'm sure much like all of you, uh, I was so sad at, at Nick and Penny retiring from ministry here. But yet, as I reflect back on my walk, following different leaders, being shaped by different leaders, I can see at every step that each that God what God's done is he's he's put different people in my path to show me uh, uh, to, to teach me a different lesson about following him now each leader had, had a particular lesson and, and we, we shouldn't be surprised Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 1 told people to follow his example as he followed the example of Christ but Paul also warned people in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 7, against putting their ultimate loyalty in people rather than in Jesus. When he said, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, I know this is all very me-centered, but um, I think if you reflect on your own Christian walk, I'm sure you will find that there'll be lots of people you can point to, many leaders who've given you different lessons. And the reality is we shouldn't be surprised at that. Because God's promised in his word in Romans 8.28 that he will work everything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I know this is a, a tricky time for us at Grace Church with Nick and Penny leaving. But I trust in Jesus, the head of the church, that he's got this covered, that he will work everything together for good because this is his church, he's in charge, he leads the way. And just thinking, all my heroes, the leaders who I've uh, put faith in, they would all be horrified, and Nick would be horrified, I'm sure, if people thought that they were putting their ultimate loyalty in him. He would be horrified, he would want us all to be putting our ultimate love and trust in Jesus. Completing our verse, 
we have the body, the church. So clearly they're referring to the same thing. What Paul is using the picture of the body to describe the church. Notice it is the body and the church. Again, that's singular. That means there is only one true church. And that is the family of everyone throughout history who has ever put their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And um, that, of course, the, over the, the, the centuries, it's divided into different streams that different people call denominations. Uh, but wherever you go, you could go to the farthest end of the world and if you met someone who was putting their trust in Jesus, then there you have a brother or sister in Christ and you are part of one body with them. This was very important, we read, in the early church where the churches in Asia and into Europe were collecting money to send back to the church in Jerusalem who were suffering the effects of persecution and famine. And if you were with us at the end of last year, this was covered to some degree in our generous series. Um, we also at Grace Church are striving to become more open and aware of our brothers and sisters across the world. We have a, a monthly nations prayer meeting where we've struck up a close relationship with a church in Malawi. And last year, we sent £10,000 of money that you gave in your offerings uh, to open doors to help support um, churches uh, particularly in the Middle East, who have been suffering from the effects of persecution with the wars against ISIS. So, we've seen that our verse today tells us that Jesus Christ, who is fully God, is the head of his one true church. But why does this matter? Well, first, I want to talk about why following Jesus is such good news. Next, I want to talk about why being part of Jesus' body is such good news. And finally, I want to talk about why Jesus being the head of the body is such good news. So firstly, why is following Jesus such good news? This is a huge topic, so I'm going to have to crush it down very briefly. And it's good news because God the Father so loved the world, and that means you, that 2,000 years ago, he sent the eternal God, the Son, into history to take on flesh, to be born as the God-man Jesus, to live that perfect life amongst us, to minister to people, to show us what it is to be truly human. And he healed people, and he taught, and he performed miracles, and he was betrayed, and he died on a Roman cross. And on the third day, he rose again. He later ascended to heaven, and he's coming back one day, and this time he's coming back to judge the world. But the good news is that he promises to all who follow him now that if you follow him, he will take the punishment for all the bad stuff you have ever done in the past or ever will do in the future. And in return, he will give you, credit you with his perfect record and you get to live with him forever. Now that's what I call good news, and there's billions of people throughout history who've put their trust in that good news. If 
you are here today and you are not a follower of Christ, can I urge you, please talk to someone today about what it means to follow Jesus. Next, I want to talk about why being part of Jesus' body is such good news. Well, I've just told you about God's love for you. And you can read in the Bible about God's love for you. But sometimes we need more than words, as the song goes. Uh, I mean, I may say to my wife, I love you. But unless, unless I actually care for her, unless I, um, I, I just go and check on her and say, are you all right? If I, if I listen to her when she's upset or wants to talk, if I give her words of encouragement, if I give her a hug, if I give her a kiss, if I buy her small tokens of affection, then she actually feels loved. In the same way, sometimes we need to feel God's love, not just read about it or hear about it. Unfortunately, God knows that. He, he knows what we're like. He made us, after all. And there's two main ways he does this. The first, a biggie, is he sends his Holy Spirit to live in us. Now, that is a vast topic, and a, not a topic for today. It's a topic for another sermon and possibly another sermon series. Um, second, if Jesus wants to show he loves us, he can give us a hug. And the way he gives us a hug is with his body, the church. In other words, we are Jesus' hands. We are how he shows, us, shows his love for the world. When, when we're cared for and when people love us and look after us, then we can know Jesus' love. And I just want to give my short testimony about this. About seven years ago, my wife and I felt that we couldn't keep on reading about Jesus' love for uh, the poor, the alien, and the stranger, and not do anything about it. So we moved from the suburbs into inner city Heiss and Green, and we started out with great ambition and ideas about reaching out to our neighbours, often, it must be said, with very limited success. Um, a few years ago, we joined together with other people who had a heart for reaching out to their neighbours in, in the inner city. And uh, 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 that was wonderful. Um, still, we didn't seem to be seeing much breakthroughs. About a year ago, I felt God call me to leave the general practice where I'd been working for the previous 23 years and start to work in the area where I was living, serving the community I was living. Unfortunately, one of the partners moved to block my resignation, the intricacies with my uh, contract I don't want to bore you with, but essentially it meant that uh, I wouldn't be able to resign for a year. Um, I thought, what are you doing, God? Did you speak to us? What was this all about? And just then, to make things worse, a load of drug dealers moved in next door. Um, of course, we tried to be friendly to them, but um, th it... We had marijuana fumes wafting through the, the holes in the wall. Uh, we had to get builders in to seal that up. There was people knocking all times of day and night doing, I don't know, secret messages. And then they were uh, coming and going. And, and, and then there was loud music uh, till about four o'clock in the morning. Uh, you know, uh, we felt, felt, felt under attack in our own home. 
Um, but throughout this, we experience the love of Jesus through the love of our home group. They cared for us, they prayed for us. Often the whole home group meeting was taken up with people praying for us and praying against the attack. And I thank God for them. And I thank God for answered prayer, which led to me being released from my contract five months earlier than I, uh, I thought was possible. And I thank God for the police raid that cleared those drug dealers out. <laughs> And I thank God for the breakthroughs we've started to see in, uh, in making real friends with our neighbours. Um, I'm sure many of you will be able to give testimony about how God has shown his love for you through the love and care of your home groups. And if you're here wondering, can I experience that kind of love and care? Yes, you can. It's very easy. Home groups will be starting in September. I'm sure any of, the, any of the home groups would love to have you come and join them. There's cards over there. Just go and speak to someone. You can go along. You can start to not be an anonymous face here. You can start to be known and cared for. And what's more, you can start to know and care and love other people. And that is vitally important because we all need to know that we have a purpose, that, that, that we matter. And it's just like in our own bodies, everything in our own bodies has a purpose. There's some bits we may not be completely sure what they're there for. I mean, what's the appendix for? But you certainly know if your appendix, something's happening to your appendix. And as a body, we all know if there's something wrong with any of us. Uh, Paul expands on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he says... But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. In other words, every bit of the body, that's all of you, are essential. If you're not playing your part in the body of Christ, then I suffer. And if I'm not playing my part in the body of Christ, then you suffer. I think the bottom line is that God is calling some people here to get more involved in the body of Christ. That first step is, is becoming part of a home group. And if you're already part of a home group, but you're not on a serving team, can I ask you to really think and pray about starting on a serving team. The last thing I want to talk about is why Jesus being the head of the body is such good news. Well, the church is not just the body. It's Jesus' body. It's, it's the one he died for. It's the one he nurtures and cares for. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are in Christ. You are part of him. And he lives in you by his Holy Spirit. That means he knows what you're going through. He knows and he cares. Do you ever feel all alone? I mean, you may be going through a particularly bad time uh, and sometimes the stuff you're going through you can't share. Maybe even it's 
you have an argument with your husband, wife, significant other, and, and you feel just unfairly treated, misrepresented, all alone you think, well, it's just me. <laughs> I, I certainly can feel like that, and believe it or not, I can even have the tendency to sulk. But the truth is that Lots of people have gone through exactly the same sorts of struggles that we all have gone through. There's nothing special about those. And sometimes people have been through a lot worse than we have. But yet, no one has gone through what you've gone through and is experiencing the struggles you're experiencing as you in your shoes. Well, no one, of course, but Jesus Psalm 139, verses 1 to 4, tells us, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You see, just as my brain knows what my fingers and toes are feeling. So Jesus, our head, knows what you personally are feeling. He is with you in your struggles. You're not alone. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you right now? Do you know that he's working everything together for your good? And finally... Because Jesus is head of the church, his body, there is no separating the head from the body. This means what is true for Jesus is true for us. Just as Jesus is honoured, so we are honoured. Just as the Father is pouring his love down on God the Son, our head, so we can experience the love of the Father. And because Jesus lives forever, so we will live forever. I just want to give you a picture. And it's the picture of a woman in labor. There's one point during labor near the end when everyone gets excited. And they say, I can see the head. And then the head is delivered. And then usually in the next contraction, the body is delivered and the baby is born. Now, in all my time when I was a medical student on obstetrics and as a junior doctor uh, attending ladies in labor, I never once saw one case where a head was delivered where a body didn't follow after it. <laughs> Do you see? that just as Jesus has been born through the cross and resurrection into a new glorified body, which is a sign pointing to the day when all creation will be renewed, so we also, when Jesus returns, will be born again into new glorified bodies. 1 John 3 verse 2 tells us, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is.